Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features. Get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book The Courage to Act, a memoir of a crisis and its aftermath. In June 2007, the fifth largest investment bank on Wall Street Bear Stearns announced that its two funds involved in the subprime loan market had suffered significant losses. On July 31, Bear Stearns announced that the two funds were insolvent. Bank of America also lost more than $4 billion as the result of providing payment guarantees for the assets of these two funds. In August, BNP Paribas announced the freezing of three investment funds facing losses in the U.S. subprime market, signaling the subprime crisis had officially arrived like an earthquake. However, this was just the prelude to a more serious global economic crisis. The author of this book, the then Federal Reserve Chairman Ben S. Bernanke struggled at the forefront of this economic crisis. Let's first understand what the Federal Reserve is. The Federal Reserve is the Central Bank of the United States. It was established in 1913 by the former U.S. President Woodrow Wilson to serve as a lender of last resort in case of a financial crisis, lending money to commercial banks to help them weather the crisis. Today, the board has seven members, including a chairman, a vice chairman, and five other executive directors. All of them are appointed by the President and confirmed by the Senate to serve 14-year terms. This book is Ben Bernanke's memoir of the financial crisis that began in 2007. In this book, Bernanke discloses how the Fed took innovative measures to curb the spread of the financial crisis, and consequently rescued the United States economy from the crisis. The book fully discloses the details of the decision-making process, and combs through Bernanke's thinking and introspection on financial policies and financial instruments, which he drew from his in-depth knowledge and wealth of experience as a macroeconomist. We have also unlocked another book Too Big to Fail, which reveals the response of the main regulatory agencies and investment banks in the United States after the financial crisis happened. If you are interested, feel free to go check out that bookie. Bernanke maintained excellent grades as a student and was the valedictorian of his high school class. He earned his bachelor and doctoral degrees from Harvard University and Massachusetts Institute of Technology respectively. After completing his PhD, he taught at Stanford University and Princeton University, where he served as the department head of economics. In 2002, the then-President Bush invited him to join the Federal Reserve. By then, Bernanke had spent his entire career studying monetary economics and monetary history. Thus, the prospect of participating in the formulation of the United States monetary policy was highly attractive to him. Therefore, he accepted the president's invitation and became the Federal Reserve's executive director. In 2006, he succeeded Alan Greenspan as chairman of the Federal Reserve, a position he then held for eight years. In this book, Bernanke recounts some of his decisions from 2006 to 2014 from multiple perspectives. In his words, there are no ideologues in a financial crisis. The actual decision-making process is always complicated, while the theory is often highly abstract. Politicians should have the courage to break the institutional framework and efficiently solve practical problems. This is the courage to act. Next, 
we will share the essence of this book in three parts. First, why the Fed failed to timely predict the crisis. Second, rescue measures taken after the crisis broke out. Third, Bernanke's contributions in the aftermath of the crisis. Let's have a look at the first part, why did the Fed fail to predict the 2008 financial crisis? To answer this question, we must first understand the cause and characteristics of this financial crisis. Bernanke believes that the direct trigger for the financial crisis was the bursting of the asset price bubble and the subprime mortgage crisis in the United States. We often hear the term asset price bubble in financial news reports. A bubble refers to a situation where investors coax the price of a particular asset far beyond its intrinsic value and expect to sell the asset at a higher price. Based on this definition, an asset price bubble refers to the swelling of housing prices far beyond the intrinsic value of mortgages. Many property owners hope to sell their properties at a higher price to earn profits. At the beginning of the 21st century, the United States real estate industry was booming, and housing prices continued to rise for several years. At the time, many scholars had already suspected that there was a bubble in the United States real estate industry. Now that we understand the asset price bubble, let's take a look at subprime mortgages. Subprime refers to the quality of loans that are provided to borrowers with bad credit and low income. At the beginning of the 21st century, the proportion of subprime loans in total mortgage loans increased steadily. You may be wondering why do banks lend to those with bad credit? To answer this question, we should talk about a popular innovation in the financial system at that time. In the past, just a few decades ago, banks used to only provide loans to borrowers who lived in the vicinity of the bank. Banks established a certain personal relationship with the borrowers and were well acquainted with the circumstances behind a loan's collateral. Once a loan was approved, it could only be held by the bank, and couldn't be resold to others. This strategy encouraged each bank to work hard to formulate reasonable loan policies and strictly review the borrower's conditions. However, by the beginning of the 21st century, a more novel loan model replaced the traditional one. Banks and other financial institutions were now able to restructure and sell housing mortgage loans to securities institutions. These mortgage loans generally had poor liquidity but held a great cash flow potential in the future. Securities institutions packaged these mortgage loans into brand new financial products, and then sold them to investors around the world. This process is called securitization. After selling the originally illiquid loan for cash, the bank could now reinvest the money to issue new housing mortgage loans. As long as the people who applied for the loans continued to pay back the loans, this process could be maintained, and all the participating institutions could collect commissions from it. This model seemed beneficial to all parties involved, but it hit a potential danger. It facilitated irresponsible lending. Since loan issuers were able to resell the loans, they were less concerned about the quality of the loans, and cared more about getting people to apply for loans from them and earn commissions. This wrong incentive enabled many borrowers with poor credit ratings to obtain loans. Due to the low interest rate of these loans and the prosperity of the real estate market at that time, many houses required extremely low down payments. Therefore, many people with poor credit ratings and insufficient finances purchased homes by applying for a subprime loan, 
which further promoted the prosperity of the real estate market. Many politicians were also happy to see this phenomenon. They interpreted it as the realization of the American dream of homeownership. There was another key reason as to why financial institutions relax the requirements for borrowers. People generally believe that housing prices would continue to rise. Even if the borrower did not have money to repay the loan, they believed they could still sell the house to repay the loan. Therefore, it seemed that there was not much risk in lending to people with bad credit ratings. However, no one thought about what would happen if housing prices fell. And so did the housing prices fall, causing a snowball effect. A large number of mortgage defaulted, as borrowers were now unable to pay back their loans even if they managed to sell their house. Consequently, the prices of securitized investment products composed of these loans plummeted, and the financial institutions holding these products fell into a crisis. A large amount of funds held by financial institutions consisted of short-term financing without government guarantees. Financial institutions obtained these short-term financing funds by using the securities they held as collateral. Once the price of securities plummeted, Lenders that provided short-term financing had to reconsider the risk of these securities used by borrowing institutions as collateral. As a result, lenders reduced or stopped lending, causing all financial institutions that held subordinated loan securities to go bankrupt, and this sparked a panic within the financial system. The financial crisis that Bernanke faced was triggered directly by falling housing prices. Now we have learned how the asset price bubble and subprime mortgages led to the financial crisis. Next, let's answer the most critical question, why did the Federal Reserve fail to predict the crisis? Actually, in 2005, the sustained and rapid rise in housing prices caught the attention of the Federal Reserve, and there were internal debates on this issue. Some people thought there was indeed a bubble in the U.S. real estate market, because housing prices were rising much faster than rental prices. Opponents believed that the rise in housing prices was reasonable and that it reflected the increase in consumer income and confidence. They believed that even if there was a bubble, it was only partial and subject to the location. In the end, most of the policymakers involved in that discussion agreed to downplay the risks. Bernanke admitted, Clearly, many of us at the Fed including me underestimated the extent of the housing bubble and the risks it posed. In 2006, the Federal Reserve noticed a slowdown in the growth of the real estate market, but they believed that this cooling down of the real estate market was a good thing, and that it could flatten the bubble. At the beginning of 2007, housing prices began to fall quickly, and mortgage default rates rose along with it. However, the Federal Reserve believed that the problem of subprime mortgage defaults would only affect the real estate industry, and at most have some impact on consumption. They had not yet seen the risks that subprime defaults would bring to the United States and global financial systems. This belief was one of the reasons why they did not foresee the subsequent financial crisis. Bernanke likens the financial crisis to a house that is hit by a hurricane. Two factors influence the degree of damage to the house. One is the external factor which is the hurricane itself, and the other is the internal factor which is the structure of the house. If the house does not have structural defects, then the hurricane will not cause large-scale damage no matter how strong it is. If the asset price bubble and the subprime loans were the external factors, 
Then the United States financial system was the structurally flawed house. The biggest structural defects of the U.S. financial system was the lack of supervision, which was the more critical reason why the Federal Reserve failed to predict the crisis. Bernanke believes that financial regulation could have helped address the buildup of risks in real estate and mortgage markets. However, there were many loopholes in the U.S. financial supervision system before the crisis. First, there were the scattered supervisory responsibilities in the financial system. As the scope of supervisory responsibility was limited, no supervisory agency could have seen the big picture of the problem. This system with scattered regulatory responsibilities came about on account of both historical and political reasons. From the historical perspective, separate regulatory agencies were established in order to respond to different stages of crises and independent events. For example, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency which was established during the Civil War, and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and Securities and Exchange Commission which were established during the Great Depression. From the political perspective, as a multi-party country, conflicts among different power centers are common within the political system of the United States. In addition to that, there were special interest groups that obstructed the optimization of the regulatory system. As a result, the entire system operated like a mess. To make matters worse, financial institutions could even choose to be supervised by a specific supervision authority by changing their registration authority. And in return, some regulators would agree to loosen supervision and charge a fee accordingly. In 2007, Countrywide Financial did just that. This subprime institution, the largest in the United States changed its subordinate thrift institution's registration authority in order to be supervised by the Office of Thrift Supervision, which assured them of looser supervision. This example shows that this fragmented regulatory system limited the regulatory capabilities of federal regulators. In 2005, almost 50% of the subprime loans in the United States were offered by unregulated mortgage loan companies. Even the supervisory power over mortgage-backed securitization was scattered among multiple institutions. This system allowed regulators to see only part of some problems, while obstructing their view on other issues. Besides the problems caused by decentralized regulatory responsibilities, the United States financial regulators had to deal with various agendas of special interest groups. As a result, Regulators are often subject to political pressure and have to relax regulations. For example, in 2005, regulators issued guidance to control risks posed by smaller banks that issued or held too many commercial real estate loans. However, the guidance was strongly opposed by community bankers, because their profits depended heavily on commercial real estate loans. This was followed by political pressure, so regulators had to guarantee the relaxation of requirements for community banks. Fragmented and chaotic regulatory landscape allowed many financial institutions to avoid oversight. Even as the Fed chairman, Bernanke did not necessarily know who was supervising who. When profit-seeking and unregulated financial institutions venture into new businesses and new markets, they tend to take their chances and neglect risk assessment and management. In the first decade of the 21st century, their reckless decisions spelled their own doom. Regulatory confusion, asset price bubbles, and subprime loan risks were like fuels mixed in a barrel, 
waiting to reach a sufficient temperature to explode. In August 2007, BNP Paribas announced the freezing of three investment funds as they were facing losses in the United States subprime market. Stock prices in the European market fell rapidly. These signals announced that an extremely destructive hurricane was coming. That concludes the first part of this bookie. Let's briefly summarize. The direct trigger of the financial crisis in the early 21st century was the asset price bubble and the subprime crisis in the United States. However, many at the Federal Reserve including Bernanke himself, underestimated the impact of the asset price bubble and subprime loan defaults on the entire financial system. More importantly, the financial supervision system of the U.S. consisted of decentralized regulatory entities and loopholes, that allowed special interest groups to push their agendas. These were the reasons behind the failure of the Fed to foresee the subsequent financial crisis. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. Get your free mind snack now.